0: Evening and welcome to School of Ministry. We are um, halfway through now. I mean, tonight is the halfway through marker. So celebrate because we are um, over the hill, just about. When, when, when I first found out about the work of the Holy Spirit, um, I felt cheated. Um, I felt cheated because I felt like for years and years, for like I felt like for 18 years, I had gotten to know who Jesus was. And then I started to get to know who the Father was, and then I started to get to know who the, who the Holy Spirit was, and I just felt like, man, I, I feel cheated of getting to know part of part of the Trinity. Um, and I'm glad that we are are taking the time here at School of Ministry, and that you guys are investing the time to get to know who the Spirit is, to see how He's at work in our lives, um, not just not just in in these physical ways, but also in our spirit as he's transforming us. And um, with with that in mind, I want to transition over to a quick little Bible reading. So if you have a verse, go ahead and grab your sheet. And if you weren't if you um, one of the people who's going to be reading, just close your eyes. I want you to just to let this verse kind of be read out over you. But it's from Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, and then through chapter 53. I love this passage from Isaiah as it talks about the coming messiah who would suffer and die. And uh I wanted us to do that in part because that's that's like what we're going to be doing on the Bible retreat. I just wanted to give you guys a taste of it and I and I hope for each of you that there is something um special about that of of getting to sit and hear and read the word together. And even getting to hear different voices read it and speak it out loud. Because there is something amazing that happens as we just hear the word of God. Right, Blessed are those who hear the word. As we hear the word of God read out, even that comes with blessing. But this is such a beautiful passage because, like I was just saying with the Holy Spirit, getting to know him, what's amazing about the Holy Spirit is that what he was doing in my life for the first like 20 years or so was exactly what he was supposed to do. He was revealing Christ to me. And that's what the Spirit does. And and as we go through these books and as we learn about what it means to have a, a supernaturally transformed mind, a mind that looks to the things of God like Tammy talks about, going through those two doors and choosing to walk the door into the supernatural realm. As we do that, it's this Holy Spirit is all he's he's all about Jesus. That's what his ministry is here for. All of this is intended to open us up to Christ, to the Messiah, to the Savior of the world, to open up other people's hearts to him as well. So with that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, we want you to be glorified. That's why we're here, is to make your name famous, and we thank you that you sent your spirit to minister to us, to reveal you to us, and that through us, you're being revealed to the world. And so, Lord, would you continue to teach us what that looks like and call us deeper into that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's welcome up Phil.
1: All right. Let me get my uh, material. Sorry about that. I'm unprepared. Um, You know, you talk about the release of the Spirit, and what is when the Spirit's released, what does that look like? And it looks different depending on the situation you find yourself in. Um, At the break, I'm going to put some pictures up from today's... uh, Bible Club, because I thought they were so amazing. Last week, they had to move from a classroom into the gymnasium, and there was 120 kids today, and about 40 kids got saved. Um, So, I don't know about you, but that, that to me seems like a release of the Spirit. Amen. And so, you know, having um, now, I think, three online, another one starting, I think, next week, and we could have as many as five if we can get uh, Canyon dialed in. But think about the impact that that has on families and on future generations. Because what you do is you reverse that cycle of sin in a person's life. Now, we know statistically that not every person who makes a commitment to Christ follows through with that, lives out the Christian faith, and becomes a reproducing kind of a Christian. We know that, okay? But we also know that some do. And whatever that number is, whatever that percentage is, they make a big difference because what it does is it begins to change the whole mindset about the kingdom. What we're doing in here does the same thing. As we invest into the Word of God, invest into study, what you're doing is you're changing really the atmosphere everywhere you go. You're having an impact on people whether you know it or not. And when you get bold and begin to open your mouth more and more and more, it begins to accelerate everything that's happening. There is something very interesting that begins to happen when you start to flow in that Spirit of God and you start to see God do some things then all of a sudden you don't have to go looking. You know, God's just, you know, you're just trying to escape because God's in pursuit. You know, he's just bringing so many opportunities. You go, I don't know where all these are coming from. I don't know what's going on. And it's just pretty, pretty exciting to see that happen. So what we're really doing as we start to think about this is we're really, when we look at this, just the title alone, Release the Spirit. How do I release the Spirit of God in me and in these sections we're looking at tonight, um, how do we get that pure spirit out so that it doesn't become, let's say, contaminated with our stuff, right? And I thought about it. You know, it's 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 one thing to be filled with the Spirit. It's another thing to release the Spirit without getting us all mixed in the matter. You know, how do I how do I get the, as much of that out of me as I can so that people really have that that Jesus encounter that we really want him to have. Um, I, I want to just, uh, I just want to pause again, and, and I want us to pray. And as we pray, I want you to to really just take a little bit of time. I know you've run in from work, you've run in from school, you've run in, and, and just I want you to take the time right now just to ask God to break the outer man. Can we do that? Spirit of God, we... Uh, We've been reading it is by discipline and by revelation that that outer man is broken. And there's so much uh, mingled of us in the matter that sometimes it's hard to really just be um, just a vessel through whom everyone can see, feel the fragrance of Jesus. So God, would you just reveal tonight what needs to to get out of the way so that we really release the Spirit of God in our life. So God, just uh, bend us and break us and shape us and form us that we might be true vessels of yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. also exciting, we have about 20 people we're baptizing this Sunday, which is great because that, I mean... The numbers are really significant to me because it represents people who are making some kind of a commitment to Christ. But um, that's going to put us at about 125 decisions, I mean, baptisms for this year, you know. And so we'll have one more before the year's out, and we'll probably start to see the fruit of what's happening in the high school, you know. And that's exciting. It really is exciting. So if you wanted to get baptized and hadn't made any plans yet, we can still do that. Uh, We have plenty of water. Right, amen. It's all it takes. It's pretty simple. Um, and it'll be a wonderful time. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter two, and we're gonna look at verse one tonight and following. And I wanna take you down through um, some scripture here, a couple of which Ni nee references uh, a little bit later in this chapter, in about verses ten and eleven. But I want you to see kind of what's the flow of been going this this going on in this chapter. And see what God has been trying to, to say through Paul and to us. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellent speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, the reason that Paul is referencing that is because the Corinthians were really impressed with smart people. Really impressed. In- with people who could articulate well uh, whatever they were teaching on. And Paul wanted wanted them to know right up front, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to impress you though I think Paul was pretty impressive. I think Paul could have impressed them. But it says, for I determine and see what he did, Where does that idea of determining come from? what what agency within your your being is that? That's your choice, right? It's your will, isn't it? I made a decision. And, I, and so I consciously said, I'm going to kill the outer man. I'm going to crucify the outer man. Because if I don't do that, what's going to naturally come out is smart Paul. Clever Paul. Impressive Paul. And it's so easy because everybody in this room has so many great natural abilities. It's so easy to flourish in that dimension And get away with it. And people never really have the full encounter of Jesus Christ that we want them to have. So he said, I determined that I was not going to do that. But to know anything, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just saying that puts you in a different mindset, doesn't it? I mean, how do you brag on you when you're trying to brag on the crucified Christ? You see the difference there? It, it does something to you mentally. So he goes on to say this, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Did you notice how he accentuated his weaknesses, his fears, instead of his strengths? You know, our natural tendency is to what? Well, hey, you know what I can do? You know, look what I can do. You know what I've done? You know, and it's easy just to, to kind of, in a normal discussion, give somebody your resume right? Whether it's your character, whether it's your, your academia, whether it, whatever it is, it's easy to do that. And he said, no, you know what I did? He determined, I've got to show you this other side of me. I've got to become vulnerable to you because if I'm not vulnerable to you, you can't see Jesus in me. And if you don't see Jesus in me, if he's not ministering through me, then really what I'm doing here doesn't really have the effect it needs to have on you Corinthians. Because what they've done is just the opposite. Oh, by the way, you know I'm of Paul, I'm of I'm you know I'm I'm of uh, of Cephas, I'm you know, and they're going through this whole litany of people that go, oh yeah, that's pretty impressive, that's pretty impressive. He says this now. He says, my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom. That word wisdom is the Greek word sophia, which is where we get our word sophisticated. I didn't come to you in a sophisticated tone. He said, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Notice there's two things that are happening there. It's it's obvious that the Spirit of God is working. It's obvious there's power behind what the Spirit of God is doing. I can say the Spirit of God is working and there's no evidence of power. And he's saying, when I came, there was an evidence of power, there was an evidence of the Spirit. And he said, I did that for a reason. Look at verse 5. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. I don't want you to have faith in the wisdom of man. I don't want that. What I want you to do is have faith in the power of God. Because you see, if you start relying on somebody or somebody's wisdom or somebody's knowledge, and then all of a sudden you get slammed with something you can't handle in your fleshly man, what do you do? You lose hope. Have we not all encountered people where they say, well, you know, I used, to, I used to really be committed. I used to really be solid in my faith, you know. And then this happened. You know, I, I remember I, I heard this uh, preacher one time from down south, and he said it like this. He said, he who fizzles at the finish had a flaw in his faith from the first. <laughs> Takes a while to learn how to say that, by the way. And the faster you go, the worse it gets, right? He who fizzles at the finish had a flaw in his faith from the first. And the idea is, you know, look down the road. Hey, something was wrong back here, guy. It wasn't the crisis that did it. It was something to do with the faith that you had and the stability you had in in God at the time. Whether you're saved or not saved, I can't determine that, but I just know something, the foundation wasn't laid well in your life. Verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. So we do speak of wisdom, but it's a different kind. See, what we believe is not unreasonable. It just far exceeds our ability, our human ability to reason. It's on a whole different plane. It's a whole different dimension, right? So it's reasonable, but it's only reasonable in the spirit realm. It's not reasonable in the natural realm. I mean, if you look at the stories of the Bible, I mean, could anything be weirder than some of the stories in the Bible? Axe heads that float. Seriously? Guys who walk on the water. Really? Noah getting all these animals in the ark? Are you kidding? They're unreasonable in the natural realm, but they make complete sense when you're in the spirit. And that's why sometimes you know you'll you'll hear a story about somebody being healed and you go, well you know really? I mean you think it really he really got healed And I'm going, that's nothing. Have you read the Bible? These same people that doubt the miracles of God today are the people that believe the Bible. but what they do is they have a faith that's in yesterday and not a faith in today. God can work yesterday, God can't work today, God can't work in the future. I seem to remember something about God that said he is the same yesterday. Today and what? Forever. The God who worked then is the same God who's working today. He hasn't changed. We've just changed. We got sophisticated. We got too smart. And we couldn't make the impact. So look what he says here. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Verse 7. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for what? For our glory. Everything that God has prescribed, it's, it's ultimately going to come back for your benefit is what he's telling us here, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God, now look at what it says, but God has revealed them to us through his what? Spirit. Spirit. Okay, so we operate by revelation, not by reason. What we believe is not unreasonable, but we operate by revelation. Revelation comes on several levels. We have the Bible that is the revelation of God. Correct? That's one level of revelation. Now we have another level of revelation. When I read the Bible, it is living and active, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, so it's living. So I have a second revelation. All of a sudden, I'm reading this revelation of God, and God reveals something to me. And that's why you have those moments where you go, oh, now I see it. Now I get it. Now I understand it, because there's a revelation. He's speaking and revealing to you in your spirit by his spirit. Now, revelation is progressive also, so now we're kind of moving on that. Revelation is progressive in the sense that what you know now is only minor compared to what you will know later. Because what happens is, as God shapes you into maturity, the script, the same scripture you read takes on a new meaning because his revelation to you is progressive. Now he's able to speak to you on a deeper level because of where you are today versus where you are yesterday. So it never stays static. See, the Bible's never static. You never just go, oh, I read that. I, I get it. I mean, I've had people tell me that all the time. Oh, yeah, I read that book. I get it. I read Ephesians. Yeah, I know all about Ephesians. Really? Wow. It's amazing. you got the mind of God all the time. And he's like doing, you know, you know how you get software updates? You know, time to update. You could, this guy's getting them automatically. He doesn't even have to read the Bible. Just cranking it up, oh yeah, that's good, I've got a new word, got a new, ri- you know, it's always going on. No, you see, every time I encounter the scriptures, God is, is doing fresh applications, right? He's speaking to me in a new way, and he's progressively taking me to a new level, so now all of a sudden I start to look at things. You see, there's some basic divisions you find in scripture in terms of maturity. For example, it says, I write to you little children, because you know your sins are forgiven. When you first get saved, what do you know? Sins are forgiven, I'm not going to hell, good news. It's really all you know. It's all you need to know. All right? Now I'm going to show you another one. I write to you young men because you know the word of God and you've overcome the evil one. Okay, that's kind of adolescence, young man stage. Uh, This is a stage where you get to fight and argue about everything in the scripture because you're trying to figure it out yourself. Then I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now there's three basic stages. Okay, but actually, you can take Scripture. There's actually 12. So there's subdivisions in all of those. Like, I write to you, old men. I write to you, elders. I write to you, fathers. It goes all and on. And so there's all these different layers. So my goal, you see, is as I encounter the Word of God, I should be moving into another level of understanding. If, I'm in, if I take those first three and I say, okay, my sins are forgiven, but now young men stage, I know the Word of God but in the fatherhood stage, I know the God of the Word. See how that changes? I've already got the foundation of the Word of God. It's not that I can't learn more of it, but now I'm concentrating on taking what I do know and figuring out more about Him. i got to understand Him and His mind. God, what does that mean? And I can meditate. You see, meditation in the Bible is not the absence of thought. That's, that's Eastern thought. What what biblical meditation is, I take something of substance and I think about it and I let God take it deeper inside of me. And sometimes he reveals the deep things of God. Have you noticed how scripture says that? There are some deep things of God. You're not, they're not on the surface. We've talked about, you know, it's, it's a glory of a king to search out a matter. Okay, so the, the best stuff is deep. I got to go down deep to get oil. got to go down deep to get diamonds. got to go down deep to get gold. Well, God's not going to put the pearls on the surface, he wants you to dig. He wants you to get in there, and he wants you to find it. So watch what it says here. Now, for what uh, this is verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Okay, I can't know the things of God without the spirit of God. In other words, what he's saying is I can't read this without the spirit of God and know what it says. Even as a Christian. I need some revelation. So what do I do? Here's the best thing you can pray before you read the Bible. Spirit, speak to me. You don't need a 20-hour prayer to get to that point. I need you to speak to me. Why? Because if I don't, I'm going to be thinking that I'm a smart guy and I can read this and I can get it. I mean, there's a script. There's a psalm. I can't remember where it is. Somebody will find it for me, I'm sure. But it says, in thy light do we see light. In thy light. Do we see light? In God's revelation, do we have revelation? And there's no end to the depth of that. How much can be known about God? Much as we have time and effort, probably, right? Much as we want to know about God, he'll reveal himself. He's not like, nah, I'm I'm going to hold a few things back. But what we do is we get in the way of that revelation. Now, let's go on and look a bit further here. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world. Oh, the world has a spirit, too. It has a wisdom. It has a knowledge. But the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words of man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, so who's the teacher? Holy Spirit's a teacher, right? He's a teacher. And how does he teach us? tells you right there the bible is a great commentary in itself you don't need to go get a commentary to understand this one just read it what does it say okay just look at verse 13 it says these things speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the holy spirit teaches and how does he teach comparing spiritual things with spiritual things this is like that God worked in that way in, in that way, and that's how God is going to work. So I'm, I'm doing spiritual with spiritual. And as I do that, as I start making these comparisons, I get it. I go, and here's a very simple way. Okay, um, Gideon was a coward. True or false? True. True. Right? Every time the Midianites came, he ran and hid in the cave. Hid in the cave. There's Gideon, right? He is a coward. Okay. Now, you are a coward, true or false? True. Let's just say true for the sake of my illustration here. It'll all work better if you cooperate. Okay? You are a coward. Why? Because you run and hide in cave sometime and you don't trust God. Fair? Okay. Now, how does God see you? Angel of the Lord shows up. He goes, Hey, Gideon, oh, mighty man of valor. See, God sees you different than you see yourself. He doesn't see. He doesn't look on your inability. He looks on your ability in Him. And Gideon, what Gideon wanted to do, Gideon wanted to get. You know, he said, "Okay, if I'm going to do this, I got to get as many guys together as I can." He bring them all down there, and he, and the ultimate test comes: how they lap water. It's the stupidest story in the world, unless you understand what's going on here. Spiritual things with spiritual things. Okay, so finally, the final three hundred come. How do how do they get the final three hundred? You better remember. The guys who got on all fours and lapped water like a dog were out. The guys who lapped water like this. Spiritual things with spiritual things. Be watchful. You got to keep your eyes open for the enemy. You can't be so concentrated on getting water because you're thirsty that you miss out on what God's doing. I'm comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. I'm learning something from Gideon Okay now Gideon here's what you're going to do Now you're going to take the 300 I've narrowed it down Got it down to 300 guys And they're going to do more than go to the hotel And put out Bibles Okay here's what they're going to do They're going to defeat an enemy That is much larger Much fiercer than you are And deep down God knew That they didn't have the courage To really do the fight So he devises this thing with foxes And lanterns That's the dumbest thing i ever heard of I mean, are you serious? Jesus said, my, my, my followers, they don't pick up swords and fight. He said, they go out and they take light with them. And everywhere they go, they've got light. And I compare spiritual things. I look at those foxes running around with those lights, and I think it was light that killed the, scared the enemy off. It's not going to be your ability to know how bad the devil is that's going to scare the devil off. It's your ability to project light. I'm comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And then he says, you are the light of the world. He also said, I am the true light coming into the world who enlightens every man. Jesus is the light. I am the light. And I am the light of the world. Now he says, okay, now here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to put that light under a bushel. I don't want you to hide the light because if you hide the light, you're not going to do what needs to be done in this world, and that is destroy the works of the evil one who is the prince of darkness. So what I'm going to keep doing is I'm going to keep taking layers of light, and I'm going to keep comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. I'm going to keep going back and forth and back and forth. And every time I go back and forth with those analogies, you see, what I'm doing is I'm deepening my understanding of what is what does it mean for me to be light. Now, when I do that, I now, what, to Nee's point, now what am I doing is I'm discovering there's some darkness in me. There's things, there's a bushel that I keep. And sometimes it's just ego. Sometimes it's my knowledge. Well, I'm a pretty smart guy with the Word of God. I mean, I've been around. Yeah, you just got disqualified, you see? So what I want to do is I want to start uh, going after the stuff that I need to go after. Okay, let's go on a little bit more in First Corinthians, and then we're going to take a look at the book. Okay, so in First Corinthians it says, But the natural man, that's a person without Christ, does not does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. For he cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, in other words, you can't, know, you can't know life if you're dead. Okay? So you have to be made alive. That's why the dead in Christ will rise first. Why? There's life there. You see, they're dead, they're dead in Christ, but yet they're alive. There's a paradox, right? Seeming contradiction. Okay, I can't know life unless when I'm dead. So spiritually, if, I'm, if I've am if i never been born again, I'm dead and I can't know life. Okay, but once I know life, I can't know life unless I'm dead. Did that make sense? See, unless I die to self, I can't know life. If I'm dead, I can't know life. But I'm on two different planes here, right? First one is the natural plane. Second one is the spiritual plane. Spiritual plane, I have to be dead in order to know life. And the more dead I am, the more life I know and the more life I project. That's why Paul said, I always carry around in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of the Lord Jesus might be seen in me. I have the fragrance of Christ. What was the fragrance of Christ? What is that? Oh, there's this woman. She was a prostitute, right? She had an alabaster box full of perfume. And what did she do with it? She what? Don't miss the first part of it. What did she do with it? She broke it. Life can't come forth from anything that's not broken. She broke it. It was impossible to put it back together the way it was. And then the fragrance came out, and then she could anoint the body of Jesus She could, in his living. He was a living sacrifice at that time, right? So he dies, and then what do these women do? They come to the tomb, and what are they going to do? They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. I thought he already got anointed. That was a living sacrifice. Now also, now we've got another sacrifice here. Now they've got the sacrifice for man's sin. Two different, two different offerings, both of them required brokenness, one a living sacrifice, one a dead sacrifice for sin. Same thing's true for you. If you're going to serve, you have to be a living sacrifice that has the fragrance of life on you, but at the same time you have to have the fragrance of death, the death of the, the buried Christ and resurrected Christ on you at the same time because you're going to function in both planes. And some of this stuff, you just kind of start, you have to let it kind of sink in and kind of go, oh, now I make that application, I understand what that means. And you start asking yourself, am I carrying around the body, the living, the life of the Lord Jesus, am I carrying around the if I died? And you just start always examining yourself on a different level. Instead, I'm a Christian, you know, you don't really think about this stuff until you get to church on Sunday. Oh, yeah, that's, it. that's good, I like that. And it, And then you never really make the big impact that you want to make. Let's go look at uh, Nee's book for a minute tonight. and um, a, uh, There was a movement in the medi- uh, medieval church age that, that basically I had to, in order to get close to God, I had to punish myself. I had to afflict myself with some kind of punishment. And some of that still goes on today. But the idea was that the more I do that, the closer I am to God because I have to bear in my body the suffering of Jesus literally. Okay? So what they would do is they take needles and they put them in their clothes and that way when they would move the wrong way they would get jabbed and that would remind them, you know, that he suffered and I have to suffer. You know, even fasting if it's not for the right reason is the same thing. You see you fast you know, for a lot of reasons, you know, most Christians I've found fast because they're fat. Yeah, sounds like a good idea, I need to lock a few, knock a few LBs off, I'm going on the 21-day fast at the church, you know. You know, that is a benefit, There's no doubt about it, right? But that's not why you do that. So if you were going to fast, if we called a church-wide fast and we said we're fast for 21 days, you know, you would look at it and go, why am I doing that? You always want to go back to that, and that's by revelation, It may be that you shouldn't fast. You know, it may be that you fast from the things that you don't like anyway. You know, I've decided I'm fasting from beer. I don't like beer. What a sacrifice. Right? If I was fasting from a real sacrifice, it'd be pizza. You know, I haven't got that spiritual yet. you see so you know it's always good to go back to that we'll look on page uh, page 66 if you would for a moment it says uh right about in the middle of the page it's the last sentence in the first new paragraph on that page 66 the discipline of the holy spirit transcends far beyond our consecration so what you do as a christian you you say hey i've got to clean up my act so to speak i've got to live a better christian life i've got to not do certain things anybody ever done that I'm not going to do that anymore, right? Well, have you noticed that it's not super effective? I mean, really, I mean, it really doesn't work that great. It's very noble. It has the evidence of it. It has the kind of the expression of it must be godly, but it really doesn't have that big effect. Let's go over in our Bibles to the book of Colossians for just a moment, okay? Go to Colossians, and we're going to look at chapter 2. Now, verse fifteen is where we're going to start on this. This is really a, just an amazing place to start uh, with this section. Um, it says um, it's on page one thousand thirty-seven, by the way. Is that really helpful? Somebody's actually looking that up. It's like Proverbs thirty-two, you know, about the you know about the gullible woman. If anybody ever read the gullible woman chapter, Proverbs thirty-two. Okay, chapter chapter two, verse fifteen. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Now, when you disarm someone, what do you do? What does that make them? Unarmed. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, let's keep, Let's go a little bit further with that one, okay? All right, when you disarm someone, what do you do? Huh? Vulnerable. Okay, they're not dangerous anymore, right? Okay, so you'll read a police report. The police disarmed the bandit. We got the gun away from them. They're not going to shoot anybody. They can't hold up the bank. What does it say here? Jesus disarmed the enemy. He doesn't have power over you. He's disarmed. I don't know what I'm going to do. The devil's after me. Demons are fighting me. I'm, you know, No, no, no. They're disarmed. The Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. This is knowledge. You are not subject to principalities and powers. They have no authority over you. He disarmed the principalities. Does that mean they can't make noise? No, they can make noise. Does that mean they can't disrupt? No, they can disrupt your life, but they have no power. They can't hurt you, okay, and powers, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So he humiliated the principalities and powers publicly, In the arena of the spiritual realm, he publicly made fun of them. So, what does that mean for me and you? It says, so let no one judge your food or drink regarding the festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, now look where he goes with this. This is really interesting. He said, okay, he disarmed principalities and powers. So let no one act as your judge in regards to food, festival, you know, new moon, Sabbath days, and all those other things. Why in the world would he connect those two things? Because it is in those things that he mentions there in that verse 16 that we try to live out, like to prove to people we're Christians. What's one of the first things they'll say to you in in a workplace? Um, Let's just say um, you lose your temper. Okay, in the workplace. What's the first thing they... Christian. Oh, yeah, I thought you were a Christian. That's that's what he's talking about. Let no one act as your judge. Okay, so you go over to BJ's, you're having a glass of wine. So, Hey, I thought you were a Christian drinking wine. Let no one act as your judge. Well, you're out on the river on Sunday. and Let no one act as your judge. Now, watch where this goes, because this is really interesting. There are a shadow of things to come. In other words, food and drink, they're they're a good shadow of, of a deeper reality regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They're a shadow of things to come. But all those things that were in the Old Testament, they were only to point you to Christ. They were never to try to control your life. Let no one cheat you of your reward. I mean, people try to do that. Take my reward. They cheat me of my reward. Yeah, you know who's really good at that? Christians uh, Christians don't do that I got to tell this story because it's just so good I told the to staff today I'm I'm. you know we finished the the second service and a lady comes up to me clearly a visitor never seen her before and clearly didn't know her way around very much and she walks up to me she goes why is your cross over at the side of the building and not in the center and I can't believe this is what I'm hearing out of her mouth right and 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 I said well and I re- immediately knew what she was talking about. We, she wanted me to move that cross for her visitor, one-time visit in the middle of the church because that's where it belonged. And I said, well, we like it over there. <laughs> yeah, we like it over there. And she said, no, but it belongs in the middle. I, it may belong in the middle. We like it over there. And then she keeps pursuing it, right? And I said, okay, now listen really carefully. When you start a church, you can put the cross in the middle. And then she kind of quieted down for a second. And then she goes, well, why don't you have a cross out front? I said, Well, we do? Well, no, I walked in. I didn't see one. So I, I'm like, are you kidding me? Who are you, lady, right? So, we're, we, you know, I'm being nice. I'm being courteous, you know, but I'm being firm, you know, firm. We locked her in the vault she's still there so we walk out you know we I take her outside and I point up and I said see the cross right there yeah I see it but it's very modern very modern it's not the old rugged cross right she's very modern and I said you know I don't know how old you are but you're very modern you're not 2,000 years old you're a very modern expression of Christianity. that can be a very modern expression of the cross well, and that, so she's still going after me, right? So she goes, well, your church looks like a Starbucks inside. And I go, thank you. I mean, finally, we got something I like coming out of your mouth. I go, great. I mean, they got great designers. They spent a lot of money. And you walked in here and thought it looked like Starbucks. I'm, thank you, you know? And I said, hey, there's a church right across the street. Go visit them next week. No, I didn't say that. Okay. Okay, that's what this is talking about. Cheat me out of my reward. If you will conform to my concept of Christianity, all will be well. There's a difference between Christian convictions and the convictions of Christians. Did you follow that? There's a difference between Christian convictions and the convictions of Christians. Christians have a lot of convictions that don't have any biblical basis. And they can cheat you out of your reward. You, and what happens is, that, here's how it happens. You feel beat down, okay, not in the good sense of brokenness. You feel beat down, and you start conforming to every Christian idea that's out there. And all of a sudden, you don't have biblical Christianity. You've got religion. So watch what it says here. Now, this is really good. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. False humility, interesting, and worship of angels, intruding into those things which has, he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the body is nourished and knit together by joints, ligaments, and grows to the increase that is from God. Therefore, okay, if you died with Christ, From the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you still subject yourself to the regulations such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerned things have, uh, which which all concerned things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men? Do you see that? the commandments and the doctrines of men. Men build doctrines up about what is Christianity. Men build commandments up about what is Christianity. And here's the key. Watch this. This is so powerful, guys. If you just don't miss this verse 23, look what it says. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And in other words, a bunch of Christians get around, they sit around a little room together, and they go, yeah, that's right. That's right. I believe that, huh? In self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are, look at this, here's the key, underline this in your Bible, of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, I don't do any of that stuff that most Christians don't do, and I'm still fleshly, because it's not the key. That's what Nee's talking about in this book. Just because it looks like it's Christianity doesn't make it Christianity. Just because you feel abused doesn't mean that you're spiritual. What I want to do is I want to get to the place to where I say, I just want to die to everything in me that gets in the way of the Spirit of God. That's really what it's all about. Instead of trying to get a, a, a set of do's and don'ts that make me believe that I'm right with God. Now, okay, now hold that thought. I'm going to give you an illustration. In the Garden of Eden, there were there were two main trees that were discussed. And what were they? Just shout it out. What were they? Tree of life, okay, and the tree of what? Knowledge, Knowledge of good and evil, right? Two trees, two main trees. Okay, so I go over to the tree of life, and God says, don't eat the tree of life, because the day that I eat the tree of life, what's going to happen to me? Well, I'm going to die, and what else? I'm going to know something about good and evil. In other words, once I take from that tree, everything in my life is going to evaluate people and situations on the basis is that good or is that evil? Instead of is that life? So, watch what happens. I'm Christian functioning in this world of religion, of do's and don'ts, and I go, he's a really good Christian. He's a great Christian. He's not such a good Christian. Everything becomes rules, regulations. I've got all these rules and regulations. Instead of going over here, and now I'm in the tree of life, and now everything comes down a life-giving spirit. Let me illustrate this. I, I like to illustrate this with Bible reading. Okay, so let's say I come up to Brian here, and I say, Hey, Brian, have you read your Bible today? He says, No, I haven't read my Bible today. Man, I thought you were a Christian. You didn't read your Bible today? Why didn't you read your Bible? Don't you love Jesus? Oh, man, you got to go read your Bible, and I walk off. How does Brian feel? On top of the world. Man, I feel great, right? No, you feel horrible. You know why? Because I just operated as a Christian out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, now, next guy comes up to Brian. Hey, Brian, i got to tell you, man, I was reading the book of Ezekiel. I don't know what's going on, but that Ezekiel dude was off the hook. I don't know whether he was on some bad mushrooms or whatever, but, man, he's got these angels and spinning wheels and crazy stuff going on. And, man, I read that thing, and it just drew me close to God. Hey, have a great day, Brian. I'm out of here. Now, how's Brian feel? Motivated. Man, I'm going to go find it. I don't know, if I know where Ezekiel is in the Bible, but I'm going to find it. Right? Now I'm functioning out of life. You see? Instead of the knowledge of good and evil. What you have to remember as Christians, we can function out of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil which brings condemnation, or we can function out of the tree of life that brings life. And really, if you think about it, those little categories we create, you know, he's a good Christian, he's a great Christian, he's a man, he's an unbelievable Christian. You get all these categories, right? The Bible only has three categories of people. He has one for lost people. They're called natural, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And then he has as you go a little bit further in that, 16 and 17, and spiritual. So Christians, you can be spiritual, you can be carnal. Nothing in between. I'm either walking the Spirit or I'm not. So you go up to somebody, hey, you walk in the Spirit today? No, oh, you're carnal. (laughs) I mean, it really is what it comes down to. Now, what if I do that to myself? What if I just say, am I walking the Spirit or not? If I say not, then I have to admit I'm carnal. I'm trying to satisfy Phil. What do I got to do with Phil? I got to get Phil dead. Phil alive is not a good thing. Um, I was, uh, we, we lived in England for a while, and I was, um, if you've heard this story, I apologize, but I think it's, it's one that just really is revelatory to me, and it, it's powerful because of this message. Um, I felt very fortunate to get accepted into the university there. And I was walking back in this little town of Oxford. I was walking back, and there's all these streets that have these great names on them, you know, like Copernicus, right? Yeah. And I'm walking back, and all I can think of is they're never going to name a street Peller. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was I was really doing some introspection here. I mean, I was really thinking about life. You know, I wasn't trying to, you know, I mean, probably because there's too many letters, they can't get them on there, but whatever, you know. But I'm I, and and street after street, building after building, and And I had this moment of just, um, I'm really nobody. I really am nobody. Okay? And this is a good kind of I'm really nobody. Okay? There's a bad kind of I'm really nobody. This is a really good kind of I'm nobody. And our daughter, Jen, was uh, with us, and she was about 11, probably. I grew up in a Dutch home, and I never saw my dad cry one time in his life. Okay? Okay? You know, Dutchmen aren't good at that and when they're colonels in the army and they're in army intelligence they're even worse. Okay. So, I come back and I'm just reflecting on life and I'm just thinking about all of my value I've put in what I've done. What I've done. You know, and I'd accomplished a lot up to that point in my life and I'm just kind of I put it right there and I'm sitting like over there in my daughter and Tammy are over there, and I start to cry. And I hear my daughter say this to my wife. I didn't know daddy's cry. And I knew I was screwed up. If it's an event for your daughter to see you cry, you know you're screwed up. And I realized what was happening. I was dealing with this external fill And I I tell people, I met Phil in England and I didn't like him. And I think we all have to have that moment where we meet us and we look realistically and honestly at at some things in us and say, I don't like that piece of me. I don't like that thing about me. And I can't ever release the spirit unless I let that part of me die. Because I'd spent a lot of energy up to that point propping that guy up. Help and fill out. Help fill. Be successful. Help, you know, be liked. Help fill, you know, do this and do that and accomplish this and accomplish that. And and it wasn't that my motive was bad. It, I never looked at myself and said, "Oh, your motive is bad." But as that, as Nee says, as that pure, as, as you get some of that stuff out of your life, that purity of your own human spirit with the Holy Spirit begins to show you stuff you didn't even know was there. I wasn't trying to dodge it. I didn't know it was there. It's like the psalmist said, God, reveal unto me any unknown sin, any hidden sin. Hey, I can, I can confess everything up and say I'm good. And then the Spirit of God comes along and goes, hey, what about that? I go, dang, I forgot about that one. That's what we're trying to get at. That's where we're trying to go. Okay. Um, let's see here. I want to get a couple of more things before we take a, a break. Okay, go to page 73. Anybody find, by the way, that Watchman kind of works you over? Anybody? Is it just me? Is it just me? I know I got a text from Lori the other day, and she goes, you know, this is really totally just working me over here on this thing, you know. And I, I'm going, yeah, me too. You know, I didn't want to give her the satisfaction tell her me too, but, you know, because I was dealing with, you know, pride at that moment. Okay, uh, verse, uh, chapter uh page 73, the cross is more than a mere doctrine. It is something that is already in practice. Do not think that the way to humility is some self-exerted effort to remind ourselves constantly to never be proud. If you want a good book on that, by the way, there's a book um, called Victory in Christ or Victory in Jesus. I think it's either Victory in Christ or Victory in Jesus by Charles Trumbull. And it's a little bitty book about 80 pages. He deals so well with the subject if you want to pick it up. I used to buy them by the case when they were a dollar, give them away. Now they're like 10 bucks. I don't do it anymore. Everybody find their own way to the cross. (laughs) Yeah, your walk's not that important. Okay, now, we must be stricken again and again. Even if it means 20 times until we surrender to the circumstances God ordered in order to break our pride. Mm -hmm. God ordered circumstances to do that to me? Are you kidding me, God? That's not nice. I remember one day I I had this revelation. I thought, you know, um, I know God loves me, but I I had this thought. I just don't think you're very nice, God. Because I was going through some tough times. I just don't think you're very nice. And that was human wisdom, right? That was human wisdom speaking. And I had to back up and go, this is not about God making your life comfortable. This is about God preparing you for his kingdom here, now, and then, and there. Because I can be going through the worst kind of possible situation, but if I'm walking in the spirit of God, it looks different. Have you ever noticed that? You know the difference. You encounter somebody, how you doing? And they're just like two weeks telling you how bad life is, and then the other person's going through something ten times worse. And you say, "How's it going?" And what do they say? You know, man, I'm just trusting God. It's great. You know, I've been able. I talked to this guy about Christ. Prayed, read this book, read the Bible, and you're going, "Wow." Two different things. Okay. So look what it says here. Um, we must be stricken again and again till. Um, The circumstances God ordered to break our pride. Let us never assume this comes about by merely following teaching of a certain leader. No, this will never work because our pride can only be broken by God's dealing through the operation of the cross. We shall learn to depend upon the grace of God and not on our memory. Yeah, I gotta not act like that anymore. That wasn't good. No, no, no. It's the cross. I am crucified with Christ. I can't crucify myself. Jesus couldn't crucify himself. You can get two legs and one hand, but you can't drive the final nail. All right? God puts that last nail in you. And it is always painful. But it's always good. So let's take a break.